if you've ever listened to a podcast or read one of my books and thought, I wish I knew if that was the right thing for my body, or how could I make that work with my schedule and responsibilities, I've got something for you. A new workbook by me coming out late spring. My Perfect Movement Plan, the Move Your DNA all-day workbook, is for your specific situation because you are going to finish writing it. When you're finished, you will have a guide to a personalized movement diet that nourishes your body in the ways that you need it to. My Perfect Movement Plan is available for pre-order now, and if you pre-order from the publisher, there's a bonus, a free ticket to an upcoming online workshop, Spot the Missing Micronutrients. It's a 90-minute class where you'll learn about five often missing movement micronutrients, and these are subtle movements of the body. In this case, we'll be looking in the shoulders and the hips and the feet that are often tied to pain or injury in those areas. In this workshop, I'll also show you how to supplement with exercise vitamins. I'm putting air quotes around vitamins and how to adjust your regular movement so exercise supplementation isn't as necessary. Pre-order now at mpmpbook.com. That's my perfect movement plan, mpmpbook.com, and you'll automatically receive a bonus class ticket. But wait, there's more. Um, I'm going to be drawing three names from these pre-orders, and these peeps are going to get a small group session with me to go over your perfect movement plan. So you can ask me questions, and we'll brainstorm your specific situation on a Zoom call together. I cannot wait. So head over to mpmpbook.com for all the details on the book and the bonuses. Read through the frequently asked questions, order the book, get the class, and then get moving. I'm so excited to share this workbook. It's the missing puzzle piece you've been waiting for, and it's so very actionable. It's the Move Your DNA podcast with Katie Bowman. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA and a bunch of other books about movement. This show is about how movement works on the cellular level, how to change your position as you move and why you might want to, and how movement works in the world, also known as movement ecology. All bodies are welcome. Are you ready to get moving? Good day, my friends. Guess what? This is my 100th episode of the Move Your DNA podcast. This is also the 8th episode in a shorter series I'm doing on movement perspectives, specifically the various ways people think about and use movement. I am very excited about my guest on this episode, and I hope you will be too, but before I do what Hollywood calls the big reveal, I've got two fantastic questions to get to today. These are brought to you by our Dynamic Collective. This is a co-op of sponsors, Soft Star Shoes, My Mayu, Unshoes, Earthrunners, and Venn Design. All companies that support some lifestyle element of natural movement from minimal footwear, sandals, boots, running footwear for all ages and all seasons, to minimal furniture that includes sitting cushions and balls that allow more of you to move while you're just sitting there. They sponsor this question and answer part of each episode of Move Your DNA, and you can find more about them in our show notes. So today's questions, like everything, 
are separate, yet they're related. So instead of doing one at the beginning and one at the end of the show, I'm going to do them back to back in the hopes that their proximity to each other will help you see how they relate to each other. So the first question is from Kendra in California, who writes, in a nutshell, do you have a high-intensity exercise prescription? How long is too long? And how can an already active person achieve this without joint damage and problems from turbulent flow? In a recent podcast, you mentioned that you were looking for a way to get more non-exercise high-intensity movement at 75 to 85% heart rate. I'm wondering how this relates to turbulent flow since some of your earlier materials suggest that getting over 60% of maximum heart rate can wound the walls of blood vessels and cause plaque buildup. I understand that doing one type of high-intensity exercise after spending all day sedentary is not ideal, that for healthy blood pressure you need to move all parts of the body to promote vasculature, but I would, yeah, I would say to promote blood distribution, but What about those of us who make an effort to cross-train? So let's say a person leads a movement-rich life, walks five to seven miles daily, does corrective exercises and also bikes, hikes, climbs, carries heavy things and jumps around, achieving about 40 minutes of daily high intensity with a heart rate at 75 to 85%. Is turbulent flow still a problem? So this is a fantastic question. I'm going to try to parse it quickly. The first part of the question is, do you have a high-intensity exercise prescription? And I would say that you could say yes, but you could also say no, meaning that I think that we try to pursue the minutes at a certain intensity. That's classic exercise prescription from a fitness perspective. If you read the expanded version of Move Your DNA, there's a section in there on the Hadza about the minutes at high and medium levels of intensity compared to low levels of intensity. So if you want more information, you can go look at that as well. I'm going to speak to that a little bit right now. So I think that the way that I would frame the need for high intensity has more to do with the need for the variation of heart and lung movements or shapes. So that's different than we're used to thinking about it because we're not used to thinking about all the different shapes that our thoracic cavity creates. So if you think of a thoracic cavity, it's got a diaphragm at the bottom. Its walls are the bony ribs, but also the muscles in between each. And then, of course, you've got the motion of the shoulders as it lifts up towards the ear. So you've got these three general ways that your thoracic cavity can shape shift. And we call that breathing. But there's not one breath because every motion that you do, the relationship or the ecology between the movement that you're actually doing, let's say that you're carrying something in one arm as you're sprinting, and the intensity with which you're doing it, so that would be the sprinting part, that would be a different thoracic cavity shape than if you were carrying something in your other arm or not carrying anything or having something on your back or pulling something. Because as you engage more parts of you, that is going to all influence the shape your thoracic cavity has to be in in order to pull in that breath, in order to create the pressure change. So what we have been calling intensity, you could also say it's a particular way that the heart is needing to move, and it's a particular 
way that the thoracic cavity, and it's not really only the thoracic cavity, it's also your abdominal cavity and your pelvic floor and your spine, the way all of that has to move with every single breath. So in alignment matters, which is my earliest place that I've put text about heart rate is people are often, I would say, pursuing general fitness. And the idea in exercise science is that the goal is to move towards the heart rate. So it doesn't really matter what the mode is, what the geometry is, you're moving towards something that you're watching on a heart rate monitor or something that you're measuring and are able to calculate the intensity. I am not after the intensity. I am after the various lung and heart movements because those create specific adaptations. And then, of course, there's a diversity in the piece in the Move Your DNA that I was talking about with the Hadza. They are, for a lot of that medium and intensity work, it's things like carrying large volumes of water, carrying heavy objects, that the heart rate becomes elevated to the 75% and the 85% because of the loads that the body is under, as opposed to just doing whatever it takes to get the heart to behave in that particular way. So I do think that our heart and lungs need to move in the shapes that are created when you get that measure of 75 to 85% heart rate. But I think that how you get it is important. So that in in alignment matters, I'm sorry, I went kind of all over the place. In alignment matters, I was talking about the fact that most people tend to chase the intensity in bodies that are extremely stiff. And that turbulent flow, as I expanded upon later in Move Your DNA, the reason that the turbulent flow is an issue is in arteries that don't vasodilate very well. And there seems to be some sort of relationship between the stiffness of a muscle and the stiffness of the artery itself. And that's touched upon a little bit, maybe in a couple essays or blog posts that are contained in Alignment Matters. So we are after pliable parts so that the the risk of turbulent flow actually decreases because your body should be able to open the blood vessels to mitigate the amount of turbulence. So I don't think that there is a turbulence that's created simply because of the intensity, that the turbulence is created, again, in this compound issue of an increase in intensity without the ability for your blood vessels to vasodilate evenly, that there are areas that have plaque, which of course, if you already have plaque, that is also a turbulent flow maker. Or if there's stiffness within the artery itself, or maybe there can be vasodilation around the stiff area, but not in the the more stiff or hardened area. And thus you then create this kind of a wonky shape. And so the shape of your body that you're bringing to the 75% or 85% is more what makes the turbulent flow. So alignment matters is a call for really maybe looking at the stiffness of your body or the limitations to that full mobility and maybe even the motions that you're using to create that 75 or 85% so that it doesn't then create this extra turbulence in your blood. So it's just like, don't only think of your heart needing to be at this certain heart rate. There's other things to 
think about. So if a person is leading a movement-rich life, is already working on a lot of mobility and is looking for those sedentary areas in their body, is already doing, in the Hadza study, those small minutes of, I think it was like 18 to 20 minutes is the high-intensity work that's being done with maybe, I'm I'm having to pull off the top of my head, I would say more like 40 minutes of medium intensity within 200 minutes or 300 minutes of light activity. So that would be the context of the movement in, I guess, hunter-gatherer tribes that can be gathered now who have fairly minimal heart disease, which turbulent flow would be, I would say, most considered in people who already have risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Turbulent flow, I would not imagine, would be a huge issue. And so, again, I am interested in the movements that are associated, the movements of the heart and lungs that are associated with 75 to 85% more than I am interested in the 75 to 85% itself. So you will see all of that in the next book, which is not coming anytime soon, but it'll be a place to kind of start synthesizing. That's really alignment matters, move your DNA and movement matters because Movement Matters is really talking about the variables that you've chosen to pull out for scientific investigation often are informing the public, whether they know it or not, as how they're supposed to shape their behavior. And so um, I do have a paper coming out on this. I will let everyone know when it is out to talk about where we have kind of focused on the whole body state of 75 to 85 percent or any percentage when you talk about the heart and less about the geometries that coexist between the heart and the lungs and and the adaptations of those tissues, both the arteries and then also all of the musculature, both smooth and musculoskeletal that adapt to those sorts of movements. So that was kind of a long answer. Hopefully you can find what you were looking for somewhere in there. The second question is, Katie, I've been investigating breathing recently, how we breathe, in which patterns do we breathe, how should we do that to activate correct muscle and the impact on the pelvic floor and diastasis recti. I've also been thinking about it in terms of bracing, holding my breath during gym activities, for instance, squatting with load. I've not found any information about it on your website. Maybe it could be an idea for a podcast from uh, Agata in Poland. So that is a beautiful question, and it relates very much to what I just answered for Kendra. And that is, again, there is a lot of understanding now that core musculature, pelvic floor musculature, bracing, so that could be lumbar spine stability, that this is all part of how we're breathing. And also, I think a lot of modalities have looked at Taking the situation that you are in and changing your breath to elicit a better response in the scenario that you are in, where I have a little bit different perspective where I would say what I believe is happening is we are so sedentary that our heart and lungs, which are used together, have kind of like, I mean, what if you considered cardiovascular disease or breathing difficulties more as a repetitive use issue, meaning that those parts themselves and then all of the parts that go into the systems that are your cardiovascular system and your respiratory system, what if we recognized 
that in a sedentary context, they pretty much do the same thing all day long, which is just what I'm doing right now, which is breathing a little bit. My demand for oxygen is not very high because I'm not doing very much. Podcasting is not a cardiovascular exercise and my arms are down by my side and I need such little volume that I don't have to invoke very much muscle to really increase the volume of my thoracic cavity. And so there are many modalities that just go, that maybe have recognized that the need for different breathing shapes or different breathing rates have positive health outcomes. So many people pursue breathing exercises as a means to well-being. So it's breath taken outside of a natural response contact, meaning, meaning breath and the variation of breath and the variation of heart rate are in response to doing something. They have to be in response to you increasing your demand for oxygen and the demand to get it to where it needs to go quickly. And it's like it's like we've come up with all of these vitamin solutions without really recognizing that maybe we just need to move more, move more frequently, move more of ourselves, load our body in lots of different ways and much more strenuously than we have now. And the result of that would be a much greater diversity of movements of the heart and lungs themselves. I would say that when you get into breathing while you are doing something that requires quite a bit of strength, you will find that quite naturally you're engaging your pelvic floor and your trunk in response because the natural response to something of great load is for your body to recruit lots of parts to be able to get it done. What we're doing now is still standing there, let's say me podcasting, but then now trying to figure out how to tense certain muscles and get my pelvic floor to kind of like contract in response to this breath that I want to do, but I didn't, I'm not doing anything. And as we start to slowly piece together the way movement works, it's really important to keep in mind that the issue is a sedentary context, that it's a sedentary culture. So when we have solutions or scientific understandings or like mechanical theories that we check the assumptions or I guess maybe the bias to make sure that we're not saying this is how something works full stop, that we can kind of understand that this is the body's response to this more naturally and this is us trying to recreate it. So I'll be expanding upon this in the book as well as on the heart because again, those two things go together And it's why people, like, when you get your arms over your head and you're hanging from a bar, sometimes people will go, I can barely breathe. It's like, yes, because you never breathe in that shape. That breathing is a giant category of moves, and you have probably just done one very narrow breath, very narrow heart rate, over and over and over again. So clinically, corrective exercise, and there's a lot of programs that kind of try to get all of these pieces to coordinate, kind of a similar to like a Kegel exercise, right, where you have a pelvic floor weakness and you want to add some tension that's supposed to be there. That's the right place for the tension, but the means is to go about and not change the movement habits, but just try to tense 
the part there where natural tension would develop if there was just a lot more movement. Where at this stage, I think it is way less confusing and way more supportive of a much more movement-rich either understanding or lifestyle to recognize that I think what we're going to need here is things that challenge our breath in lots of various positions and situations and load where the byproduct is naturally that strength in the pelvic floor or the torso, the mobility in the shoulders, etc. So hopefully that was helpful. Agatha, thank you. So the second question was brought to you today, especially by Unshoes Minimal Sandals, which I love. Out of all my minimal shoes, they are the most minimal. And I travel a lot, as many of you know. And I was pulled over (laughs) by TSA, which is our United States airport security, because my shoes were too small. And this was after I had taken off my very tiny shoes and put them through the x-ray machine. I was told that my shoes were too small for the machine and had to be hand inspected. So I do like to give them a little shout out for making them so minimal. They actually require a human being search them for safety. So thanks to Unshoes for always keeping me and my feet happy. And also thanks to everyone else in the collective, Earthrunners, another favorite minimal sandal, Venn Design, maker of beautiful dynamic living space decor, my Mayu outdoor boots for kids, including my kids, and soft star shoes, which keep us all in shoes. For more information on these companies, go to the show notes, click listen, click podcast transcripts. They're linked at the top of the notes. Okay, it is now time to introduce our very special guest. As I mentioned before, I've been interviewing a lot of experts, and as weird as it feels to say, I'm also considered an expert. So When you tune into this show, you're hearing a lot of experts' ideas about movement. Well, today I have a very special guest interview that is the truest expert on your movement. This is someone who knows everything about your, yes, your personal movement history and potential. This is someone who spent a lifetime understanding your, yes, your particular movement patterns. Can you guess who it is? That's right. I'm interviewing your mom. Just kidding. It's you. You are today's special guest interview because you yourself are an expert in your own movement. So here's the thing. Expertise is helpful and necessary even. In our culture, we have many people committing a significant portion of their lifetime to gathering facts about one thing or a narrow element of one thing. Then the expert gathers an understanding that can be summarized and shared with anyone who wants to also learn about that one thing, but without dedicating their entire life to it. We learn a lot from experts, and I'm grateful for their work. In fact, our culture would at this point completely collapse without experts. I read this quote, which is commentary on Paul Ehrlich's book, The Dominant Animal. And the quote reads, with agriculture's food surplus, specialization took off. Inuits that Ehrlich once studied had a culture that was totally shared. Everyone knew how everything was done. In high civilization, no one grasps a millionth of current cultural knowledge. We don't. We have to share it with each other or we'll go without even our most basic technology like flush toilets and electricity, let alone our incredibly advanced technologies. However, an expert is not necessarily equivalent to an authority. An expert is drenched in facts, beautiful facts, 
but an authority has power. And when it comes to human movement, as well as many other things, I'd suggest that everyone is their own authority. We've outsourced knowing about most things, but when it comes to movement, your movement, nobody knows how you're doing or how you want or need to do it, and no one has power to make you do it more than you do. So today I invite you to refer your questions and wonder about movement, not to me or any other expert, but to yourself, the expert and authority on you. So chances are you've set aside time to listen to my thoughts on movement today. So I'd like to give that space you're giving me back to you to listen to your own thoughts. Today, you and I are going on a walk where you can mull on your expert answers to some questions. And if you're already out walking, you're basically trapped. So here we go. I have some questions for you, the expert, the authority. You can answer in your head. You can mutter aloud or share with a friend. You can leave a comment on my Instagram with your answers. Most importantly, recognize your own knowledge of and power over your movement. And thank you so much for being my mystery guest today. Here are my questions for you. Are you moving the way you want to be moving? In which areas of your body or life have you begun to move better? And in which areas do you still desire to move more? What changes can you make in your life to meet your needs? And I know that you're not going to want to rewind this, so I'm just going to read them one more time. Are you moving the way you want to be moving? In which areas of your body or life have you begun to move better? And in which areas do you still desire to move more? And what changes can you make in your life to meet your needs? All right, let's go.
Hello.
Hey, friend, thank you for being my guest on this episode of Move Your DNA. I have loved spending this time with you and holding this space. I hope you realize that you yourself have many, if not most, of the answers you seek. Thank you for spending 100 bouts of movement, which includes listening movements, with me. I am endlessly grateful. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. 